Hello, and welcome to the Super 70 Podcast, Special Report, Once Upon a Time with Dave Anderson. sat down again after the Kingdom of Heaven podcast to forget about the horrible ordeal that was that three-hour marathon, and instead drank ourselves to an area where we tried to understand the talent of Denzel Washington, the power of Toshira Mifune, the best battle scenes ever captured on film, debate the merits of Brian De Palma, and spend three quarters of an hour pontificating the idiocy of the critics versus the genius of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Grab a six-pack and try to keep up with our Tecate and Crawford Bach while we try to up our game. And now, without further ado, our special report with Dave Anderson. Well, let me tell you, man, if, if heaven actually exists, uh-huh. I've got it made. Well, all right. I'm not worried about that at all. <laughs> uh, I've been a better person in the latter part of my life, but I've I've never transgressed to the point where I've been worried about gotcha such things. No, so but I, I understand <clears throat> the Middle Ages was a very fascinating time in not just Western society, but. Very similarly, the same things were happening mm-hmm. in, in the Eastern world, and and to see that conveyed in Kingdom of Heaven, just to reading about it was it it made me more interested. I'm primarily like a a 20th century historian, right? German film historian. So to dip into the Crusades and dip into the Middle Ages was really a, quite a break from what I'm I'm very used to, and I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I kind of thought you might. Yeah, and and uh, and I I. Just, I really dug getting into the era mm-hmm. and the details and yeah, and and uh, the passions, just great passions and and just what a time. You know, uh, there was a historian by the name of Will Durant uh, who wrote a, an eleven volume history of the of Western civilization, which I'm I'm only halfway through, but every one is just it's it's exponentially better than the previous one. And so he wrote a, a, a book on uh, uh, the age of faith, okay. which was about medieval Europe and and uh, the Muslim world. And it was just 1,100 pages of sheer bliss, which you don't think belongs in a sentence. But, I wouldn't have thought so, no. But I really enjoyed it. I recommend Will Durant anything. His, his book on the ancient world is called uh, – well, there's got two. There's one that's called The Life of Greece, mm-hmm. and then the second one is called uh, Caesar and Christ. The one on Caesar and Christ is very good. I highly recommend that one. Okay. And about how the monotheism versus polytheism and then how it just divided the world and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Are we recording? Well, yeah, we're recording. We're, oh, I didn't realize that. We're deep into the bonus content now. Oh, no intro? Uh, I'll record the intro later because I didn't type it up. Okay, well, so that's I'm, fair. I'll have to make a separate. All right, so yes, you had asked me before mm-hmm. top five battles. Yes, yes. Okay, so I want to know what's what's the definition of a battle scene? That's a good question. Um, 
I assume it's got to have large numbers of combatants on both sides, whatever that is. From a story standpoint, uh, yeah. Okay, I see what your point is because the battle in Saving Private Ryan at the end is like a dozen people. But it's definitely a battle in my opinion. definitely a battle. In my opinion, yeah. Right. So I'm not – I mean it's just one of those that it may not matter, right? I'm just curious if there were some – I don't think well it's, defined. I don't think it's very well defined rules. Okay. I was tempted to say oh, it's got to have more than a thousand extras in it, but sure. you know, but <laughs> it's like uh, I don't know. No. So I think for me in just making up as I go, right? Okay, the end of the Wild Bunch. Oh yeah, you the know, Battle I, of Bloody Port. Yeah, I mean that one for sure. Um. Like, one of the ones that goes to my head is the end of Hard Boiled. Oh. Is that a battle? Wow. I don't know. I have not thought about that one in quite a while. Right. So if that is, then yes. And if it's not, then okay. (laughs) But if it is, then yes. Um, You know, these are essentially the same thing to me. So this is three, even though it's two movies, is... You know, the big battle at the end of Seven Samurai and yes. Magnificent Seven. I mean, yes. they're they're so. different, but I enjoy both of them, and they're kind of the same yeah. story. You know, they're, well, they're definitely the same story, yeah. but and they're both done different ways, but I wouldn't want to call them two different battles, so I'm cheating there. So I have that going for me. Luke and I just recently watched that. Which one? Seven Samurai. Which one? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Uh, so, yeah. That's uh, okay. Yes. Uh, well, he saw the Magnificent Seven, like... Uh, I don't know, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And he liked it. You know, the the one with Steve McQueen. Okay. Yeah. He really liked it. And and then we saw, we went to the theater and saw the remake with Denzel Washington, which was much better than I was expecting. I know. I know. Wasn't it? It was, it was much better than I was expecting. It was. And Denzel kicked fucking ass. In as that per film. usual. Oh my God. As per usual. I mean, obviously he's a star, but every time I, it's like, he's getting better with age. Yeah. He's How one is of, that possible? Like you see him in glory. He can't possibly be better than in glory. But I mean, yeah, it's one of those that Denzel is one of our handful of true, honest to God movie stars. Yeah. Yes. We don't have a lot of them. Probably never have had a lot of them. Yes. But he's one of the ones. Okay, yeah, he is. Okay, so previous to that, we, we saw the Seven Samurai, the Kurosawa version, mm-hmm. and he, he just absolutely loved it. Oh, yeah, it's tremendous. And he, and he just instantly was like pointing to, to Shira Mifune, mm-hmm. and he was like, who is that? Oh, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to love him. You're going to see him a lot in other films. But but even Luke, at the age of 15, was like, who is that? Yeah, he's pretty special. So he, Toshiro Mifune, is, he's a, just star, you know. Oh yeah, it definitely. Is, it's definitely a special, and he's an amazing actor. Because you take that, and you take his other, like he's in Red Beard, didn't he? Yeah. Oh my God! Like, how would you know unless you saw the credits? Right. I mean, he's it's amazing. totally different. You know, he he was able to very effectively, you know, bear himself into a role for yeah. sure. So anyway, so we're going back to to the point before that was battles. Battles. So I think I had what three? Yeah, you had uh, Wild seven, Bunch, Wild Bunch, Seven Samurai, slash. Magnificent, Magnificent Seven, the uh, Steve McQueen one. Yes. Maybe hard-boiled. We're unsure. Right. It's probably not. It's probably an action scene. It's not a battle. Yeah. I. Yeah. There's only two good guys. I'm, I'm almost like I want to put like a maybe an asterisk of like if you're sliding across anything, it's not a battle. Yeah. Okay. That's reasonable. Right. Like a kitchen counter mm-hmm. or a floor or on a shield going down a staircase. Okay. Know, All right. So we'll, 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 we will disqualify that one. Um, one of the ones that I've seen actually recently that I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the uh, the Google because I, I I had to remind myself <laughs> the Google you're checking the, the Google, Google. Um, 
You know, one of the ones that really impressed me, which I saw maybe two years ago, was there was a tank battle in Fury. Oh, that was... Which was, like, really harrowing. Oh, I know. And it was, like, really, really well done. I was shocked at that movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not a fun movie to watch by any stretch of the imagination. but but it is fascinating. Yeah. I love Fury. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if I'd watch it again. I own it. Oh, yeah. But it's not one of those that I'd say, you know what, I think I'll... Yeah, it's Friday night. I'm going to watch that one. Oh, that's all of me. But of that, course, I, that's the, my area. The Three Shermans versus the the uh, Tiger yes. was just really, really cool. And that goes back to how do you shoot it. You know, they did the same thing in Kelly's Heroes. Did they? Yeah. Was, oh, yeah I've seen Kelly's Heroes, but it's been a long time. Um, I think that uh, probably the, the second battle in... Uh, in um, Saving Private Ryan. Thank you. Saving Private Ryan. You know, English, I speak it. Memory, it works occasionally. I think I definitely put that one. So that puts me at four. And then I'd have to watch it again because I'm not exactly sure which one, but one of the battles in uh, Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they're so over the top. That outpost. Yeah, it's just, it's just really amazing, actually. Although... I know that they're coming. They're coming out with if it hasn't come out already, a Battle of Midway movie. Yes, and there is either Guadalcanal or Midway can make a really incredible movie with modern techniques. I think so. I mean, uh, I know they've got old ones, right? And they are very good. But I think if you put it in the use the modern technology, if you really wanted to go balls out, mm-hmm. which is terrible to consider that as entertainment. You know, right? But at the same time, you know, Fury is entertainment, and that is it is dark. It's not fun, right? No. And you know, Schindler's List is entertainment. No, that is not entertainment. Oh. That's education. I, I really don't know if I call that entertainment. I saw it once in the theater. I don't think I'll ever see the movie again. Wow! I mean, it's probably one of the top twenty best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. But I don't want to revisit it. Yeah. I don't really want to see it again. I, I get that. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, no. It's, you know, um, sometimes you have to be careful about about the places cinema takes you. Um, mm-hmm. Because of my area of study, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. It, it finally hit me, like we were in Canada, and I remember seeing a whole bunch of films in a row and reading a whole bunch of books in a row that were about the Holocaust. Oh, fun stuff. And, yeah, and... uh again, like I, I actually, I'm not an absolute authority on the Holocaust, but I will dangerously say that I probably know a hundred times more than most people. Well, yeah. Yeah, There's not a whole lot of people that want to focus on that. Right. For good reason. Right. And I I don't, I don't begrudge anyone for, for not, I I think they should know the facts. Right. But, but you know, uh, counting people to the ovens is not what I would yeah. consider a good time. But I, I did finally sat down and I watched Sophie's Choice. Yeah, I'm not watching that. And I'm not and watching that it. broke me. Yeah, I'm not watching it. That broke me. I know what the choice is and I'm not watching the movie. So my wife came <laughs> into the room and and was just pissed at me. Just pissed she at me. She was furious at you. Yes. Like you fucking asshole. You did this to yourself. You read 10 books in a row. You watched 10 movies in a row. You topped it off with Sophie's Choice. And now you're in an emotional state of fuckedness. And I got to pick up these. your fault. So you go outside. 
Yes. You think about what you've done. Yeah, when it's minus 20. That yep. was real fun to do. I don't doubt <laughs> it. So, yeah, no. <laughs> no. So, so I'm not watching the movie. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so back to Midway. Can't wait for Midway. Uh, Dunkirk really didn't have a battle in it. No. Um, but I enjoyed Dunkirk. I did not. Uh, I, th- I think that, okay, Thin Red Line had a. Thin Red Line was. Amazing movie. <clears throat> Great battle scene. Yes. Um, I'm thinking of the bunker. Yes. No, I mean, there were m- multiple sections in there that were... I mean, Terrence Malick is one of those guys that drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, he really does. You know, and that was probably the last movie he did that had anything resembling a narrative. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's like, so much of that movie, I remember sitting there watching it going, this is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. <laughs> And for the love of God, just stick with one thing. Because as soon as I got interested in something, he was like, oh, you must be interested. I am now leaving. Yeah. Tree of Life was yeah. just a random collection like just, of snapshots. But, I mean, it's beautiful stuff, but it's like, oh, my God. They're all they're all experimental films, which is really cool, right? And if – I mean, I fool myself anytime I see one. It's like going, okay, this is going to be the one with the story. It's like, no, I'm he's not lying to me. I'm lying to myself, mm. right? So I don't – I shouldn't get mad at him. But yeah. God damn it, I'm an irrational human, and I am. It's like you have so much talent. It, yeah, it's, it's amazing how much talent he has. Oh, yeah. It's, <sighs> and it's amazing that he... Took off work for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, no, he made, what, three movies in his first 30 years? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Thin Red Line came out, and now he's been super prolific. Yeah. Like, probably a movie every other year. Yeah. It's like, God damn it, if you could only do it on stuff that I have interest in watching. That would help. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it works for him, so... Okay, so are those the? Are we still we're still searching for one more? Um, I'm not sure. Let's see. Um, no, I think that's five. I think so. Okay. I mean, Black Hawk Down in its entirety. Okay, so uh, I I got I had some questions of myself, and I got hit, hit up on some questions on Twitter. Oh, you did after yeah after the Terminator and then the special oh, the okay. special edition podcast. So first, <clears throat> the one one of what this could be. One thing that I that I thought we would bring up is uh, exquisite acting in the Terminator from Michael Ben. Yes, is he guilty of it? Exquisite. Yes, like over the top. He's you know, crossing the line. <sighs> in a movie that wasn't a B movie, almost by definition, he went way over the line. Yeah, you know. But considering it is a Roger Corman B movie. I mean, it's not made by Roger Corman. I know that. But it's really a Roger Corman movie. James Cameron was trained by Roger Corman. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if you look at it, it's like, it's not... The people who made it, beyond the actual filmmakers, the people who financed it, I don't think they saw it as anything more than just, you know, a drive-in, let's make our budget back, and call it good. And and they got a piece of art. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, wow, that's really good. Yeah. You know, they looked at, I'm sure, as a... Shockingly good. Yeah, it's no, it's tremendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not as good as Terminator 2. Stop. It's just not. Well, Terminator 2 is a much more... It's a remake, right? Terminator 2 is a remake? Of Terminator. Okay. Essentially. Okay, similar plot. No, it's... The, okay, is is um is um The Force Awakens a remake of Star Wars? No. It essentially is. I, I think I think it's not uh, a shot for shot true remake, but it's the exact same movie think, with different characters, different locales. I think the Phantom Menace is a remake of 
Star Wars more so than The Force Awakens. Okay, they can all three be re- <laughs> <laughs> We're all three on the same. Don't get me wrong, I liked it a lot. You like The Force Awakens? Oh, very much. Okay. I enjoyed it very much. Okay. Because it's exactly what I wanted. Okay. Which was essentially a remake of Star Wars, as it turns out. <laughs> I get that. I but, that. I mean, okay, so what's the Terminator about? It's about the salvation of humanity being protected by somebody they didn't initially trust, being hunted by this unstoppable machine from the future. Yes. That's the exact same plot as Terminator 2. Well, that's true. So it's the exact same movie. It's just done so much better, in my opinion. You don't think so? Then why don't I like it? I don't know. I'm surprised you don't like Terminator 2. You don't like it? I or don't, you don't like it? As... I don't like Terminator 2. I don't have really? an antipathy for it. I don't hate it. I but just, you don't still like it? Like if, given getting any movie in T2, I, I mean, any movie. I mean, okay. never been a fan of T2. And I can't explain it. Even when it came out? Even when it came out, like I remember the, the, there was all that hype and big press and I was a fucking fan of Terminator. Right. Huge fan. You were probably disappointed. You know why? Hype? No. It's a remake. <laughs> no, I don't mind remakes. I don't mind remakes. That's I re- a joke. You know, I'm actually a fan of remakes. Really? Yeah, Payback and... Uh, as long as they're done 11. differently? Well, no, not even that. Well, I mean, I don't like Psycho. No. I don't like the remake of Psycho. Fair but, enough. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't mind remakes. Being a remake doesn't automatically disqualify uh, from interest. The Thomas Crown Affair, I thought, was a drastic improvement on the first sure. one. And I liked the first one. Okay. No, I understand your point. You know, um it just didn't work for you for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I, I think Edward Furlong was a big part of that. Yeah. You know, he uh, The PG-13 rating was another thing that I... That wasn't PG-13. That was, I was R. It was R. It just did not seem like an R. It's so, not a hard R. So there's that. There's, but, you know, it's one of those things where ratings fluctuate so much. Hmm. I mean, Red Dawn was PG-13. That's crazy. But... It was. Yes, yeah, we watched that too a little while ago. Right, and that is an R-rated movie yeah, if it comes that, out now. Has, it's probably know, be, it'd probably be cut to God, be an R-rated movie now. Anything John Milius does should <laughs> be rated an R in my opinion. Yeah, it really should be. But, yeah. you know, it's just at that particular time. That's what it was. I mean, um, Midnight Cowboy, rated X. Right. It's not. No. But back, but I mean, back then. Jaws is almost a G-rated movie back then. Yeah, that's crazy. But, that, yeah. I mean, it's PG, but only because of the head, I think. I think they put the yeah. head in to ensure that they got a PG. You yeah. put a severed head in a movie to ensure you get a PG. You pump it up one. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay, so so point two. Yes. Uh, I committed a grave party foul, according to some people on Twitter, okay. by mentioning Dolores O'Reard on the Terminator podcast, and I apparently I owe an apology. Why? It wasn't fitting, apparently. Okay. So uh, whose podcast is this? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so here's uh, the other point was the uh, the Terminator love scene, and we talked a little bit about this before. There are a lot of people that were that were not a lot of people, but there were enough people that made me think twice about it. They were hitting me really hard about bringing up uh, the love scene and and Linda Hamilton and her gorgeous body. Right. How? What were they doing? What do you mean? Uh, I got slightly accused of some sexism by sexism. Yeah, by mentioning that, but. Sexism. Yeah. Well, I, I emphasize that I liked seeing her nude. Right. Which I didn't think was hugely controversial. Um, now, if, you, if someone said objectification, sure. And I don't know if objectification is necessarily the same thing as sexism. No. Not Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. if somebody says, oh, you objectified her, it's like, yeah, I did. 
Yes. But that doesn't mean you're minimizing her part in the movie oh, or Lord, even no. or I, even the sex scene, right? I, I mean, I, it's... Right. I, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, I don't understand the sexism thing. Is like, who was the person who knew what they wanted out of that scene? Definitely her. Definitely her. Yeah. Who was the stronger of the two? Definitely her. Who was the smarter and more educated of the two? Definitely her. So I'm not sure how it's sexism. Like I said, objectification. Okay, sure. Yeah. But that's okay because it's one of those things where that's... You know, I hope to one day be objectified, but I don't know if that's going to be possible. <laughs> so, well, well, I think what I failed in following through after listening to the the podcast sure. the second time. Which you what, have an advantage. I never listened to that podcast the second time. Okay. Yeah. So what what I gained from it was I never followed through on my 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 thought. Oh. Which is, Blame me. Yeah. Um, if it were not for Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm initiating that sex right. and having it mm-hmm. and being the proactive right. party in the mating process, right. there would be no future of the human race. Okay. And so to me, Sarah, ever more than ever, Sarah Connor is who the movie is about. Well, yeah. Despite it being the Terminator. Yeah. And I mean, it, it that's a much better name. Yes. For a movie. It, it doesn't shock me or offend me to think that a woman would save the human race. Right. That, that seems since women give birth and women have that process, uh-huh. the reproductive impetus, even though men are involved and we all know that it, it seems, it seems fitting for me that Sarah Connor initiates that sexual contact. Yeah. Isn't that like the it. moment in the movie where she starts taking agency of her own life? Right. Right. So the fact that you didn't say that, well, I, yeah, I never followed up that thought. Okay, that that's was, fair. That was on my mind, and I it's meant just to not say what you, we just didn't yeah. get to that point. Okay, I'll blame me. I, I'm sure I got you off track. I doubt it. Yeah, it's possible. Okay. So we that's point one. Point two. Where's point three? I don't know where three is. It's okay. I'm uh, not keeping count. We talked previously about we talked previously about um, the Mount Rushmore of films is how you described it. Yes, and the Godfather Part Two is in the Mount Rushmore, and you wouldn't limit it to four. Maybe it's five, right? But what are the other four or five movies you would put on that Mount Rushmore? For me personally, yes. How about you go first? Oh God. Haha, that's one of your top ones. Oh, God. Part uh, no. one or part two? Yeah, John Denver was pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, Fight Club, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. No, it's not. Yeah, I said Fight Club. I said The Empire Strikes Back. The Night Porter. Really? Yeah, I love that film. No kidding. Yeah, in a bizarre way, which is not healthy. No kidding. Yeah. Um, Ten years ago, I would have said Citizen Kane, but I wouldn't anymore. My Lord. I mean, right now, I would I would probably put uh, the other side of the wind in there. Just, okay. Just I, but I mean, that's kind of unfair. Like it came out in January, and I've been watching it like obsessively. So, so it's well, you have to. <laughs> I mean, that's the great dichotomy of using the Mount Rushmore thing is that it's it, for me, it's always an organic thing, mm-hmm. which is carved in the side of a mountain. So it's obviously not. It's impossible. Apoc- but it, apocalypse now. Yeah, apocalypse. I mean, you can go through probably ten 
would be your Mount Rushmore. It's like movies you can watch anytime. It's like, yeah, I like that movie about, you know, come Thursday, that may be your favorite. Yeah. But we'll never fall out of like that top five or ten. Yeah. Right. That's fair. Um, Blade Runner, of course. And and at this point, I would probably, you know, you know, one that I really like, and and, and I would put in that list. And it's, it's very bizarre. Run, Lola, run. That is unexpected. My mouth is bizarre. Yeah, I I really dig that movie. I never get tired of it. You talk about a rewatchable. Well, isn't that like the definition of pure cinema? I think so. I mean, it's I nonstop so. kinetic. Yes, it just goes. Yes, the whole time. Yes, and then I mean. Yeah, and, and I saw that. It's like the precursor to, to Crank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yours. All right, so you went to six. I think I went to six, yeah. So I'm going to try to do the same thing. And, you know, this is certainly not going to capture everything. This is just going to be whatever comes off the top of my head. Right. All right, so we probably have, yeah, Godfather Part Two. I would definitely put up there. I'd put Jaws up there. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I probably would put Seven Samurai up there. I mean, that is just—I really enjoy that movie. It's a long film. It's a long movie. It's—it's it's not as long as Kingdom of Heaven, but it's longer. <laughs> <laughs> More time, but it goes by a lot faster. Um, golly gee, Almighty, it is challenging, right? Because you want to try to really capture it, and it's hard to freaking do. Um. You got anything by Fritz Lang or Ingrid Bergman? Well, I really like, you know, M. No, no, Casablanca. Okay. Casablanca for sure. Yeah. Casablanca for sure. Um, Singing in the Rain for sure. I really enjoyed that movie, Singing in the Rain. Um, I would probably put Robocop. Which is a strange choice, but it's probably true. And for a recent movie, it'd probably be Once a Time in Hollywood. So I went to seven. We got to talk about that later. So I mean, I'm not I'm dropping things, major things off, but I can't think of them immediately. So that must mean that they're not belonging because uh, there's Star Wars, the original. Yeah. And I mean, it could just go on and on and on and on and on. Um, I'd like to add Fellowship of the Rings. I really enjoy that. I'd like to add uh, eight and a half. Okay. Okay, Fellini's dope. Yeah, I, I really Vertigo. Ah, oh, man, not me. Really? Yeah. How about Rear Window? I could put both those in it. No, not Rear Window. Have you seen Rear Window? Yeah. Have you yeah. seen Grace Kelly in Rear Window? Yes. I just I I sometimes I got a problem with Hitchcock, but I'm not. The but only with those two movies? Well, yeah. I'm I'm you know, even though Tippy Hedren's not in it, I get it. Okay, so I could. Probably watch almost any Hitchcock movie anytime. Right. Yeah, I I can't. Really? Yeah. Even though, even though, like Luke and I saw Psycho last year, uh-huh. and and I hadn't seen Psycho probably fifteen years, and I I have to say that's one of those movies where we had the conversation once, like you, you would some movies you would not change a frame. Right. And that's one and of them. Psycho is one of them. But it just it makes me uncomfortable watching Hitchcock films. Oh sure. Okay. You know. Um. <clears throat> You turned me on to Ebert's Great Films. Mm-hmm. That so, did exist. I didn't make that up. Right. It did exist. Oof. It was a, it's a sub 
Yeah, it's sub- a subcategory. Yeah. And every movie that you could possibly think of mm-hmm. is on there. Yeah, pretty much. What doesn't belong there? Oh, I don't know. I need a list of it. I really don't know off the top of my head. The, the list is so extensive, I can't even... Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are ones that I'd look at and go... Well, that's the thing I always liked about Ebert, is that even when I disagreed with him, I could always at least understand the logic. Yes. You know? Yes. There are movies, and I can't think of any at the top of my head, that you know, I know that he didn't like, that I enjoy a lot, but I also know that every time I read his review, I said, that's fair criticism. I can get past the stuff you can't, just like for the things that he likes that I don't. Right. He could get past stuff I couldn't. Right. But I, I don't know what wouldn't belong, because I do remember reading it and going, it makes sense. It makes sense. Even if it was a movie like, I don't really enjoy that, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know. Well, I, I saw The Scarlet Empress on there. I haven't seen that, so I don't know. Yeah. And, I mean, as movies go, I, I like The Scarlet Empress. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very slick, it's a Von Sternberg yeah. film. You know, Marlene Dietrich. Dietrich. Yeah. And I fucking love Marlene Is The Graduate Dietrich in there? Because I know you hate The Graduate. No, uh, yes, The Graduate's in there. And you hate yeah, that movie. Yeah, I can't stand that movie. So is that like one of the ones that just didn't work That's for you? That's one I think I would take off. Yeah, okay. without a doubt. Um, but do you think it's one of those things where if you read his review, you look at it and say, well, I know why he'd put it there at least? I don't know. I haven't read the review. I'm just saying. I mean, that's what I'm guessing. It's like, I mean, he was really thoughtful enough that usually it's like if he puts them there, it's like, okay, I understand why. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't agree, it's hard to argue when there's valid supporting reasons, reasons to yeah. why yeah uh yeah the, the scarlet empress is is an impressive film that i like watching and huh? I, I watched it repetitively and but i wouldn't put it on to great film you just said you watched it repetitively yes but is it a great film i don't think it is okay i just and it's not that i don't enjoy it because i i do enjoy the scarlet, yeah. scarlet empress but i i wouldn't call it one of the great films okay that's fair you know it just, but it's not. It's not the top one hundred, right? It's Black the Narcissus. You know, it is a great movie. That's a great movie. Scarlet, Scarlet Empress. I mean, I wouldn't call it in in the top two. Right. I remember when the AFI came out. Mm-hmm. And we we said I was actually thinking it. of that. Yeah, and like I, day before yesterday. You can't get it on DVD. It's sold out. Really? Yeah. They had used to have a DVD of the uh, of the top one hundred, the top one hundred, the broadcast that they yeah. did. And for some reason, a couple days ago, actually, I looked it up on the uh, the Amazon. Yeah, and you can get it, but it's used, so it was like oh. one hundred and twenty bucks because I guess it was... it's out of print because of all the uh, licenses. Oh, so, and that was the one that came out in two thousand or twenty ten. Because we, we, I think, I remember we're coming over and we were drinking yeah. beer and watching. I think that was two thousand. Yeah, it's probably about that. Yeah, it's been that long. Maybe might have so. been. Yeah, because Nicole was there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, she so, would have been there for 2010, too. I don't remember seeing the 2010 one. Not either, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, she would have been. Yeah, that's true. At least theoretically. Okay. Spielberg is on that list five times. In the AFI? Yeah. I th- no, in the in the Ebert Greek films. I think that's fair. You want me to try to guess? I don't. I didn't write them down, but I'm just... You'd, you'd have Jaws. Jaws. You'd have Raiders. Raiders. You would have Schindler's List. You would yes. have Saving Private Ryan. Yes. So all four of those for sure. For sure. And then number five would be the one that would be... E.T.? Yeah. Why not? Close Encounters. Yeah. Okay, that too. Six. Yeah. Which e- one would you leave off? E.T. or Close Encounters? E.T. I've never been a fan of E.T. You didn't cry. I am the only person. Yeah. I've never talked to someone without a soul. That's pretty interesting. Because <laughs> you were the right age. You should have cried. I was, yeah. 
And actually, I mean, I punished uh, my brother afterwards to make me make myself feel more like a man. <laughs> and I love Super Eight. He didn't do that movie. No, but if you if you look at Super Eight, it's basically it's pretty close. Yeah. E.T. Part yeah. Two. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Fincher's on there once. Well, when did Roger Eber pass away? Too long ago. Yeah. So it's probably one of those where I mean Fincher is not prolific, right? Right. But I mean, if you were read, if you were putting your own personal top two fifty together, is there any Fincher movie that isn't Alien Three that wouldn't be on there? Which that one, of course, would not be on there because that movie broke my effing heart. Actually, this is on the internet, right? I can say whatever I want. It broke yeah. my fucking heart. Yeah. I even remember walking out of that movie trying to justify it and going, "Yeah, I'm lying to myself." I totally lied to myself about that movie. Why? Because. It takes everything that happened before and throws it in the trash, right? And it's one of those things that, you know, based on what the movie is, it makes sense for that movie, right? But I'm not going to pretend to like it, right? I think I told you this in a text a few weeks ago where the person who wrote the script for... Which one? There's like 17 of them. For... um, the original Alien Three, which they canceled. Yeah, yeah um, what's his name? Uh, can't remember it, but it was it was the one where the necromancer guy, uh, the guy who does a not necromancer, neuromancer, Newt and Hicks Hicks survive yeah. and are involved in a fight to get off of a like a, a wooden prison planet, right? Something like that. Yeah. Is so that right? they yeah, so they produced that script and they got. Uh, Michael, Michael Bay. Yeah, it's like in an audiobook. Right. Lance Henriksen. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, so I listened to it. What is his name? The author. Um, I can't remember. Gibson, William Gibson. Sure. That's his name. Uh, I found it very interesting. He wrote Johnny Pneumatic. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> you just uh, marked that one off like, yep, yeah, no more no, Johnny Pneumatic. No, no more Johnny Pneumatic. <laughs> Pneumonic. Pneumonic, you're yeah. right. Pneumatic is a very different thing. Okay. Uh, Was it good? I enjoyed it. Okay. I, I really enjoyed it, and um, I think it ended well. Okay. I'm not going to tell you how to end it, because That's fine. if I were you, I would I would get the audiobook. Okay. But I, I found it very, very interesting. Okay. Have you seen, because I made a short list, Night Moves? Is that the movie with Michael Keaton? No. Uh, Gene Hackman. No. Uh, 1975. He's a private detective that was the schnauzer oh okay yeah he's a private detective who uh is hired to go find a girl who's melanie griffith and she's like 14 in the movie or something creepy yes yeah and it, it's it's basically like a a film noir okay no i'm he's, not saying he's Marlowe, you know okay and um as gene hackman Gene Hackman. Yeah, uh, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's Hackman in his prime. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's after French Connection. Right. It's, it's right about the conversation, you know, uh, and it's before Mississippi Burning. So I think it's it's really good, and it's it's really belongs in that time period, like The Long Goodbye okay. with Elliot Gould and, and Elliot Gould. Chinatown. I never got the appeal. So almost like Chinatown and and Night Moves and and the Long Goodbye almost are like a trilogy. Okay, in my mind, just the sort of California Noir. Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's way too sunny to be so dark. Yeah. I, th- I think that, I think you'd enjoy that movie. Oh, I'm sure. I've, no, I've not seen it though. Uh, the next one, the way back. Nope. Don't know it at all. Okay. Uh, Peter, oh. Peter Weir, the Australian. Yeah. Director. The Australian filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> Ed Harris. What's his name? I think his name is Peter no, Daniel Bruhl, who is a German actor who's got like six languages. He was in The Winter Soldier. Yeah, it sounds He played familiar. the psychologist. Okay. His big German breakout movie was Goodbye Lenin. Okay. Uh, which was a, a comedy about how his mother went into a coma and then the wall fell and his mother woke up and the doctors were like, don't upset her. So they couldn't tell. They had to go on that the... <laughs> I guess it's that, been pretty funny. Yeah. East Germany was still still going on and there's a giant Coke sign outside her window and they're trying to hide it. I and, can see that uh, being funny. <laughs> yeah. So it was... Um, he was in that and, and Colin Farrell mm-hmm. and a couple other people and, and they're they're all prisoners in a gulag. Okay. In 1944, and it's a true story. And they escaped the Gulag and then made it all the way across Siberia, all the way across Mongolia, all the way into Tibet and to China. And then during a war, you know, and and it was it's quite a journey, and it's over two hours. And I remember seeing it on Netflix, going, "This is a two-hour journey movie." Yeah, it's a slog, I'm sure. And I'm not interested. And I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off, and I watched it, and I was so fascinated i immediately grabbed luke and we watched it again no i've never heard of it yeah the way back the way back yeah okay if you get a chance if you were to pick one movie that i should see what is it oh god yeah i I don't i don't have an answer for you okay you see everything i i watch as much as i possibly so i don't know if i can pull that off i mean i would have to really sit there and think because you have definitely you know, taking advantage of the movie watching, I have not watched near that many over the past 10 years as yourself. So I'm not really sure if there is anything that I can think of immediately. I really don't know what Yeah, it I've watched, uh, what is this, I'm up to 70 with the kiddo. Yeah. About, all the way back to November. I've watched 70 movies since November. In less than a year. With, so. with him, the, the, other, the other list is other films. That's films I just see on the side. Yeah, so, so there's I, like 10 or 15 there. So 85 films in the last, uh, you know, Nine months. I mean, no, I can't think of a movie. That's for sure. Maybe the long way around, which is not a movie, but I'd recommend you watch that. What's the long way around? I never heard of it. The long way around is a BBC. Well, I don't know if it was BBC. I'm presuming that it was, but it's a uh, documentary of Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, who is director who was the director borman Diggs caliber john borman john borman his Dorman. son yeah his son is this when they're on bikes and yes. they drive across siberia or in russia they, they go from london Eurasia they go from they go from london to new york okay the long way around okay the long way around oh yeah. that makes sense yeah. okay i would watch that yeah that's really good oh yeah oh, okay. oh yeah it's really good oh you're a world traveler type i am so you yeah. probably enjoy the heck out of it i've been around the globe a couple of times okay so are those those are two that you'd recommend that I watch though. Yes, but I'll try to find that. That'll be easy to remember. It's on Netflix. All right, here's a big question for you: Why do we tolerate Brian De Palma? Ooh, this could be interesting. Yeah, you say tolerate as if he shouldn't. You don't that his value is minimal at best. Well, <clears throat> because I wonder if Brian De Palma's good. Okay, expound. 
Brian De Palma has made multiple movies that I think are legitimately very, very good. Name them. Carrie. Um, the Untouchables. Um, Blowout. Um, what else? There was another one that was in my head. Casualties of War is very... Is not good, but it's almost good. There was another one that was really blanking on me right now. Oh, the Body Double. Yeah. I don't really enjoy it, but, I mean, if it came on right now, I'd watch it. Okay. So that's five movies. Now, granted, all of them are 30 years plus. Yeah. Right? Bonfire of the Vanities is oh my probably God. not very good. Oh, my God. <laughs> the book is tremendous. I read the book. Everybody um, says that. Yeah. What else did... I mean, 8mm? Was that him? No, that was Schumacher. That was Schumacher. Snake Eyes. That's what it was. That was similar. Yes. That's not very good. Um, I understand Sisters is good, but I've never seen it. I think De Palma is actually very talented. I really do. Well, I'm, I just don't think he's made a really good movie in a really long time. He's kind of like Coppola in that regard, although his highs were never that high. Right. Well, of that, I, I have no doubt. Right. So you were saying, why do we tolerate Brian De Palma? And Mission Impossible is... I don't, I don't like the first one at all. I fucking hate Mission Impossible. I don't like the first one at all. Well, I mean, I spent a lot of time in... in um, in class listening to what an ass he was and reading a lot of essays sure. about, you know, how... Oh, Dressed to Kill! Yes. That was really good. That's the one I was thinking of. Well, that and body double like it's really it's really difficult to defend him from like just how he treats women and i don't know my what do you mean well he he just doesn't if you look at his his films women really get rough treatment yeah you know they they blood poured on them and uh penetrated with drills through ceilings yeah and not good stuff yeah, and he just seems. But to... lots of times there's a counter. <coughs> Excuse me, there's a counterbalance to that, right? I mean, Carrie gets treated like absolute shit. Yeah, but she gets she takes the win. ultimate revenge. That's true. I mean, the woman yeah. in Body Double gets killed by a drill, which is really repulsive. I mean, she's not the heroine. No, right? she's a victim. But it, it, I mean, um, Melanie Griffith. Yeah, is a heroine. Now it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. So if somebody calls me and says, "Ah, oh, you were wrong," this I wouldn't argue with them, but. I don't remember Blowout, Nancy Allen being, I mean, no, she had a lot of agency. No, no there's, uh, that's I mean, he is definitely one. highly sexualized and violent. That's, yeah, that's what, for I'm, sure. getting, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. For sure. And I, I think a large part of it is unnecessary. Now, I mean, I, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Palma. Okay, but wait, when you say unnecessary, yeah. all right, so let's, let's go back to something. I mean, he's an artist, right? He is. So... He does these things on purpose. Yes, he I does. I mean, and I don't know if it's good or bad. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Angie Dickinson in Dress to Kill. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a remarkable presentation of her in that movie. It All was. the way around. From the shower scene to the death scene, right? Right. But considering the point of view of the movie, it made a lot of sense. 
Because the point of view of the movie is kind of uh, the killer. Well, right. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. It's just like I, you know, and women getting slaughtered on screen is nothing new. It's been no. happening for decades. It's yeah. just when I watch it in a De Palma film, I feel creepy. You know why? Why? Because he makes almost all of his violence against women sexually related. It would help if it if those were removed. But I think that's uh, I think sure. that's the point of it. I think the point of his movies, especially the ones where I think he was really really good, mm-hmm. is there is that perverted and demented view of the Madonna whore and sex and violence all wrapped into it. Where I think it makes total sense, and I don't know if I can. So this is, I'm making this stuff up as I go. So I don't really know. <laughs> but, you know, almost every time I can think of those movies, yeah, I mean, it's almost always violence and sex are completely related. I mean, I. I and none of the like, violence, none of the violence in his movies is not sexual. It's all sexual, mm-hmm. right? So I can see where it makes you uncomfortable because that's the objective and it makes me uncomfortable. It's not like one of those things where I sit back and I say, hey, let's throw this one on for another good Thursday night. But it's one of those things where I think there's a definite point, even if he doesn't know what his point is. I think he knows what his point is. Now, I I watched I'm that, not sure what his point is. I watched that documentary on Netflix called De Palma. And, I have not. And he, he you got to see it. Like It gave me a new respect for the guy, I got to say. I've never been a big fan of his. Um I'm not disputing the fact that he's a master. Yeah, he's very talented. And and he comes out in his documentary and says, I'm the only fucking guy who's doing the same shit of the dude that you worshipped who died 40 years ago, which is Hitchcock. He, he says. Well, that's true. He is the only, only one. He's the, the only, only one who's remaking right. Hitchcock movies. This is right. true. And I mean. I, I don't know if that's something to proclaim or what, but it right. is true. But he seems to be correct in that. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna knock him for making a good product. I remember being a kid and I went to the theater with my dad and saw The Untouchables. And I just mm-hmm. thought at the time that was the greatest movie ever. That movie is pretty good. It's it's astounding. It's and, pretty good. You know, I obviously I've got some problems with it now, but it, it just, you know, movies should be at least that quality, mm-hmm. I think, in terms of entertainment. Now, I again, like after I, <clears throat> I knock him pretty bad because of what we just talked about, the sexualized violence. Okay. Uh, after watching that documentary, I, I could see a little bit more. Obviously, directors, a lot of directors, John Ford was one of them. You know, they don't feel like they have to defend what they do. Yeah, I this, don't know if... this is my art, and if you don't like it, then don't watch it. Right. You know, I get that, and I don't want to be a total dick here, but De Palma wasn't exactly defending himself for a very long time. I watched Carrie, even as a kid mm-hmm. watching Carrie, that opening shower scene. It's pretty disturbing. You know, it's not fun to watch. I, it's not. And you're you're talking, you know, I was a kid. <coughs> God damn it, Topper. I was getting mad at the dog. You know, I was a kid. This is this is prime material, is a bunch of girls naked in a shower. Yes. And and I'm I'm not interested because I'm just immediately uh I'm feel like he's showing it to me with the purpose of getting me excited and it's not straight pornography. And I, it made me feel very uncomfortable. Okay. Um, now if you watch the documentary, mm-hmm. he basically says, well, that was the point. Yeah. That's kind of what I was wondering. Cause I didn't ever think of it as a, he wants a porky to, right. scene. 
Right. He wants you to feel uncomfortable by right. putting so many nude girls on the screen. He wants you to feel like this is not Something's right. Not right. This is high school. This is we're voyeuring and then he hits you with the the period. Mm-hmm. And and he talks about how Sissy Spacek just had a very 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 like it was the toughest scene that she had to do in her whole life. I believe it. And I get it. And uh it helps when when the director recognizes that. Mm-hmm. Uh which Nothing that I had read on him before was like, yeah, I realize it's tough, but that was, he, again, he wasn't a very good advocate for his own material. Yeah, so I get that. There, there are shots in body double mm-hmm. that make me want to punch the guy. Oh, sure, and and they are right out of Hitchcock. You know, Hitchcock dropping the camera right on, um, not Grace Kelly, but on Tippy Hedren's mm-hmm. ass and following it for twenty five feet. I, 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 you know, I, I have very little tolerance for that. And it's very strange to say, in, you know, if you could probably show me other films or other directors do it, I'm fine with it. Right. But it, is there something the way De Palma does it? It's just very, very piggish. It just seems. Well, that's like true. Well, that's true. I mean, no, it's one of those things where I think he's fairly honest, though, right? He is not. I would much rather watch a bad De Palma film than a great Steven Summers film. He's not hiding his sexual desire. No, it's not that necessarily that as much as, you know, to a certain degree, it's kind of uncomfortable because it's like, man, this is this guy's psychosis unspooled right here on screen. Yes, you know? Yes. And there's a certain fascination with that. People read books, like, nonstop about serial killers. It's like, why? Right. You know, it's sort of, it's not the same, but there's a, a thread, I think, that's sort of right. tying it all together in some regards. So I don't know. I mean, I think... It's been a long, long time since the Bombers made a movie that I've had any interest in seeing. But I wouldn't say that he isn't worth defending. Good point. There you go. Good point. Okay. Man, we're ripping right along through these, which is good because we're at 49 minutes. No shizzle? No shizzle? No shit. 49 minutes. Damn. Okay. Time flies. Look at us being efficient. We were talking last time uh, very briefly about how do you separate the art from the artist. Yes. Can we? Can we separate the art from the artist? Like, and I, I can I can start with... In the, totality? Like, well, well, we were talking about Polanski. We were talking about Woody Allen. Uh-huh. And I don't want to revisit those two. But no, because God, why? Well, why would we? But I'll bring Though that, they both made really good movies. They, 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 they did, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Zelig fan, right? Um, there's, there's two others we'll, I'll bring up very briefly and I'll let you expound on both of them. The first one is Mel Gibson. Okay. Okay. So, uh, being that I'm, I'm in a family in which, uh, we are not unknown addicts, okay. specifically, specifically alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel Gibson said some things on, you know, eight double tequilas. Right. Uh, that he deeply regrets. Well, because feel, it cost him a career. It, yes. Well, it didn't cost him a career because he well, it waited. cost him uh, what it, his career was going. True. Yes. It derailed it pretty significantly. Right. Uh, I. I <clears throat> I'll still watch a Mel Gibson movie though. That's that's not going to stop me. Where I was going with this was everything that I've sat through in every AA meeting that I've been in. Okay. I've been in a lot more than I care to remember uh you're dealing with a jekyll and hyde situation yes and that person uh that you love uh from birth is is not the same person when they're under the influence of a very simple and available drug unless you subscribe to the uh school of thought that it's just unleashing their innermost thoughts 
There's no fucking way I can subscribe to that. That's fine. Just saying that that's, is a popular. That's, that's that a pop- is a popular theory. That is a popular theory. Yeah, but I, I, I don't believe that. Then why would people say things like that? Because they are dealing with the with the demon drug, and I, I think addiction is a very strange chemical that warps your brain. Yes, just just like any other chemical does that mm-hmm. you could be exposed to while you're working or right. what have you. So, you know, I, I have people that I dearly love that have said things to me and have done things to me that I know is not a true reflection of what they would do if they were so- sober. Okay. So I know that there's two sides to Mel Gibson. Probably more than that, but yes, I know, what you mean. Right. I know what you mean. Right. So I, I feel like the community is castigating him for oh, something yeah. he said under under the influence sure. of Mr. Hyde. Well, it's because they makes them feel better about themselves. Right. So in, in that aspect, I feel like I can separate the artist from the art. Okay. Is there any artist that you will not consume their art strictly based on their personality or whatever? Uh, There's a lot of artists I won't consume their stuff because I don't like it. Right. So, so we went over this before where we talked about uh, uh, a belief versus an action. Sure. And, and we were both uh, perfectly fine with beliefs. Did mm-hmm. not care what people believed. Sure. Actions was different. Uh, I haven't seen a Woody Allen film in a very long time. Would you watch Annie Hall if it came on now? No. But Annie Hall is considered one of the top. It is probably. 20 movies of the first half of the 70s. It is. And part of that is the fact that I'm just not really a Woody Allen fan. Fair but, enough. You know, I do like Zellick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch that movie that he did with Winona Ryder and Kenneth Bronner, uh, Celebrity. I think it was I've called. never seen it. It was, and I understand like Crimes and Misdemeanors mm-hmm. is phenomenal. That's what they say. And I've never seen it and I want to see it, but I just like, wow, Woody Allen, I will put that to the bottom of the pile. Okay. And it's going to stay there for a while until I can come to terms with it. And you do have a lot of options. I do have a you lot know, of options. There's always a so, lot of other so stuff. So why make that decision? Yeah, no reason to prioritize it. Right. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, um, I love Taxol Ridge. I have seen it. But it's been a long time. I thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, not all the Mel Gibson stuff works for me, right? Yeah, of course. Just but like any filmmaker. I think overall, it's like he's gonna—he's kind of Brian De Palma-ish, mm-hmm. except he doesn't have sex with his violence. He just has violence. Right. Well, in and Mel Gibson usually has a. You know, he has a spiritual or a religious connection to his violence. There's a which, slight amount of Catholicism going on. Yes, there's a lot of iconography. Yeah. And, you know, which is fine. Which Doesn't is bother fine. me. It's not the first time. Doesn't mean I want to watch it necessarily. But yeah, well, the Hacksaw. I found, I found Hacksaw more than than a lot of his films to be very intoxicating in mm-hmm. terms of uh, wanting to a uh, rewatchable. Sure. Right. Um, I I saw Braveheart with my son for the first time in a very long time, maybe 20 years. And I, I didn't care to watch it again. Okay. You know, and but at the time, I, I, I don't know how many times I watched it. Yeah. In the 90s. Yeah. Lots. Lots. Right. But Hacksaw, I found just, just, wow, I want to see that scene again. I want to see that performance again. I don't think Vince Vaughn is very good in it, but, you know, I I can't wait to see Did it. Did he play Vince Vaughn? No, I think he, he played a... Oh, really? He a, always plays Vince Vaughn. I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> okay. okay, but... All right. Lenny Riefenstahl. I, I'd watch one of her movies. So do I. Okay. 
I think she's very talented, very skillful. I think she gets a bad rap because she's a woman. I think she got a bad rap because she could be considered a Nazi sympathizer, at least. But yeah. yeah at the very least, she was yeah. a Nazi sympathizer. At the very least. Right. Or Nazi survivalist, maybe. Maybe not a Nazi survivalist. Survivalist living, working in Nazi Germany. Germany yeah, for sure. But, she I mean, had a career afterwards, which yeah. upset a lot of people. I, I, I don't... Okay. I'm not going to comment beyond that. Okay. All right. So, have you ever considered boycotting anybody no okay not for well yes but no i i've never considered boycotting someone who i was you know listening reading watching their art before blah yeah right bill maher really twisted me off a couple weeks ago but i wasn't watching his shit anyway i had no interest in watching it i'd seen it before i got his gig it doesn't do anything for me Right? So it's not one of those things where he turned me off. Yeah. Right? It was one of those like, yeah, that just confirms what I always believed. So I can't think... I mean, I'm sure there is some thing, but I, I've not run across it yet. Doesn't mean I'm going to run out and support terrible, terrible activities. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. But I can't think of anything I'd boycott that I didn't already have no use for. I got you. Okay. That I can think of. There's a great podcast called The 80s All Over. Okay. And they go month by month from January of 1980 until December of 1989. And they... Although it should be 1981, January, all the way it through December. It should be, theoretically. But that's not yes. important. Yeah. Uh, they go through the decade. They go month by month. And they, they hit all the... What they say major are events major that... releases. Oh, major releases. Okay. Right. Although, I mean, in actuality, they try to cover everything. They they even cover re-releases. Okay. Yeah. So uh, they re-released Raiders when Temple came out. I, I don't remember, yeah. but I believe it. Yeah. Uh, so they covered it. The so, DVD wasn't so available then. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's very interesting going month by month mm -hmm. through my childhood. Okay. I can see that. Right. Same weekend. Oh, no. Are you ready? Same weekend. I'm stealing myself. The Thing. Okay. Blade Runner. Sophie's Choice. Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Khan. E.T. Wow, that was all the same weekend? Tron. No, that can't be right. Same weekend. It seems highly unlikely. I believe you. I'm just... Really? Yeah. Hmm. That's... That's that's crazy. That is crazy. Is it any wonder E.T. won out? I mean, really, no. really, Wrath of Khan came in, too. And we're lucky anyone's ever heard of Tron. Yeah. Right. I mean, stacked up against E.T. Yeah, E.T. and... Sophie's yeah. Choice, different audience. Absolutely. Right. The Thing, famously... Was of course, it is such a different time, right? We don't have... The Netflix, we don't have the cell phones, right? right? What else were you going to do? Watch Leave it to Beaver for the 14th time on TNT? Right. No, I guess I'll go see the next movie. So yes. I can understand a little bit better. You know, yes. It was definitely a different time frame. But that's a remarkably high batting average for a single weekend. All those movies made an impact. Oh, yeah. Right. On pop culture, for sure. All of them had a legacy. And that's why I did my first 10 on the Super 70. Okay. As, as 80s. Okay. Makes sense. Godfather Part 3. We 
still haven't seen it since the last time we talked. Touched it on tight. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. I, I felt obligated to mention it. Trevor and I had like a Godfather marathon. I, I don't know how old I was. I mean, when did it come out? Um, 89 or 90? Um, Godfather 3? Yeah. Can't 90 or 91. 90 or 91. So, I mean, I was 16, 17. I had it on videotape. I taped it off of HBO. Mm-hmm. Had all three of them. All right. And Trevor came over one night, and I mean, I, don't, I think we started at 8 or 9 o'clock, but we watched them all, like, in a row. Okay. And we were up to, like, 5 or 6 o'clock in the fucking That would do night. it. Yeah. And just, I'm, I meant to mention this before because we had pro- talked about part two mm-hmm. uh, last time. And... Man, if you watch those just in a row, uh, part three really, really fails. If I'm sure that really suffers, yeah. In a row. It's it's not so bad if you're waiting 10 years for another one to come out. But I can see where it would suffer. Well, I don't know. I mean, when it came out, I, I know me and my college roommates at the time, I think it was a sophomore or so. It was probably 90, 91. We watched part one and part two before we went to go see it. You know, maybe not five hours straight yeah. and then into it. But it was one of those we watched it over the weekend before. Okay, and then I've got two questions I have to ask you offline, which are going to be very difficult for you. I think that's what? yeah, <clears throat> that's about planning the future of the podcast. Oh, okay, but now I want to get into. That was going to be something totally weird. Oh no! Well, <clears throat> we need to get into a, a very extended discussion over the uh, the wit and the meaning, or just the experience of what we know as. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay, so I probably should uh, refill my beer because. Well, let's do that. You want me to pause? Yeah, let's go ahead and pause. Los Angeles weather. Low overcast tonight. Low around 58. Mostly sunny tomorrow with a high near 68. No smog. Beaches now 62. Valley 66. Downtown 65. Orange County 66. Back online. Yeah, back live. Okay, so once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes. All right. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that, other than it. It seems two Tarantino movies came out while I was in Canada. Okay. So uh, Django and Inglorious Bastards. Or Hateful Eight. Django was definitely one of them. I guess it was the Hateful Eight. I'm not sure. And so Inglorious was probably before I went up there. So anyway, you know, I have a hard time. I had a very hard time while I was living in Canada judging by uh, judging the impact of a certain uh, film. Its impact on or pop even, culture? Yeah. Just okay. or, or the, you know, the cinema the audience and, yeah, in general. Um, it was because movies in Canada typically were released one week or two weeks past the American okay. release date. That was one problem. Uh, another problem was, uh, you know, the market. Like they they thought very strongly about well, do we want to release Captain America in Canada? Why would you not? Uh, because it's a foreign country. That yeah, there are a lot of Canadian like they didn't release it in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but Saudi Arabia is well, it's not a Canada, country but... that we're kind of almost at war with, right? Yeah, we're also kind of married to. But regardless of that, like well, same thing with China. Right, yeah. So, anybody, I, I felt very disconnected in a lot of ways, and of course, okay. because of the job situation, yep. I didn't have time to like delve into. Sure. You know, what does Variety think this week about this? Like yes. I can do now. Right. You know, not on box office mojo every week, but it, 
this seems to be probably since Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. his the biggest impact. It's the biggest since Inglorious Bastards for sure. Okay, so that well one maybe was... Django. It's hard to say because each one of his movies has a definite impact at that time. That time, right? That it comes out. Yeah, and he does it so infrequently because what's what's his four years per? Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's not all that often. Three or four. So aside from uh, Death Proof, I mean they've all made an impact of some sort. Right. And that one made really no impact at all. Right. And that one is understandably, you know, it not for everybody. It's not all that great. Yeah. I I enjoy it with the exception of one scene, but No, but I mean I, I, but I understand people. I enjoy it, but I don't find it special, right? But Yeah. Back to your point. Yeah, we just it just seems um I think I saw it the second week and I was, I was kind of curious as to whether I could see it the second week because, mm-hmm. you know, because his films are, they're released on a smaller scale. And I mean, Pulp Fiction was probably the widest release he ever had. I don't know if it was or not, but it certainly feels like and it. And it was in theaters for a long, for a much longer time. time, for a much longer time. You know, and, and uh, I remember seeing Jackie Brown, and it, it, it seemed like that was gone quick. That was gone quick. And uh, then Kill Bill was in there for a while, and a lot of people were talking about Kill Bill mm-hmm. uh, because of the of the two part structure, right? And uh, but I I don't remember Inglorious Bastards or or I was down for Christmas and saw Hateful Eight with okay. Trevor, and was was you know. Really liked it. Mm-hmm. Not hate. I really liked that one. But uh, uh, Django. I'm sorry. I was down for Christmas and saw Django, and uh, that really had. I mean, I have to say, like that. That really hit me. Okay. Like none of his other movies did. It's not my favorite Tarantino movie, right. but just just the, the, like the punch to the gut type mm-hmm. of thing, right? Um. Once upon a time seems man. There's lots to unpack there. Yeah. And and. I got to tell you, I was really reticent to even see it. Really? Yes. Why? Now, well, well, first of all, uh, mind you that I don't watch trailers anymore. Yeah, that's a smart way to do it. And, and I don't I don't read reviews anymore. And Again, I smart. Hear, I hear a movie's coming out, and I'm like, oh, I will keep an eye out for mm. when that comes out, but I don't want to know anything about it. Right. So I walked in blind, okay. comparatively speaking. Like, I knew who was in it, mm-hmm. and... I knew it was like all of his films, a nostalgia piece, but not that, all his movies are nostalgia pieces, but I understand what you mean. Yeah. When I were just, yeah, now I'm just bringing up to be a jerk, but yeah. okay. Death proof is not a nostalgia piece. Pulp fiction. Isn't reservoir dogs. Isn't, uh, there's a lot of past- Kill bill. Isn't it's not a lot of pastiche in those. A lot of, well, I mean, there's a lot of homages to the past, but they are set in right. the present when they came out. Yes, that's true. Yes. I mean, kill bill is definitely a, Okay, so a modern you, piece. When you, when you talk about direct nostalgia, right? Then yes, then I mean, but yeah, every single one of them is certainly influenced by the past. Yes, directly. Right. So uh, anyway, I I've seen it twice now. Mm-hmm. So the initial time, me as well. It it really, I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. I was very uncomfortable even thinking about going to it. And as the movie was going on, I just felt like there was this clock mm-hmm. that was ticking down, partially that he was responsible for, because he tells you the date and the time. Oh, yeah. And I just did not want to see. You don't want to see Sharon Tate get murdered? No. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. 
And I was, I got to tell you, like, as the film was going on and I was laughing, mm-hmm. I felt uncomfortable laughing. I felt like, God, I really shouldn't be enjoying this. And I was completely hit by that left-hand turn. Oh, yeah. When you realize, spoilers, that last crane shot over the driveway mm-hmm. where you see her walk inside and she's safe. Yeah. And it says, once upon a time, dot, 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 in America. Or yeah, in Hollywood, you know, rather. I, I almost cried in the theater. Okay. Because, I mean, I would like to think that all of us as movie-going fans... Or as people? want Yeah, or as people <laughs> with hearts want to see her safe. Yeah, we don't want to see a pregnant woman get slaughtered. Go yeah. figure. Or her friends. No. Or, yeah. the, you know, or the second round of murders. Yeah. And that's when it hit me, belatedly, while the credits were rolling, mm-hmm. that the entire film and nine months of prep work or whatever, sure. two years of work, went in to that one crane shot yeah. At the end. Yeah. He he had an idea. Something tells me it's like it started with that shot at the beginning. Yes. It's like, how do I get there? That's what I took it as. Yeah. Yes. And then how do I get there? And he got us there. Mm-hmm. And I thought more than any of his other films, what a brilliant man. Oh, he's, you know, he will probably for a long time not be remembered for... As good as he is, right? Because even the movies of his that I don't like as much as the other ones, it's they're just remarkable experiences. I mean, the structure is unconventional but reasonable, you know, and the acting is, you know, hundred percent of the time. I can't think of any bad performances. I mean, there might be, but I sure can't think of any. Um, the problem is that. People oftentimes take away what I think is the wrong thing. Because it was funny. Because I saw it with Nicole the first time. Like, we saw it opening weekend. And it was like, and she was kind of like you in that she is totally disconnected from that. So she didn't even know he was coming out with the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, we got to go see it. And she was like, oh, it's about the Manson murderers, right? Told it's like, and I'm like going, I don't think it's about that. But, yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, we'll see it. And it was just shocking. And it stuck with me for a few days. First movie in a long time that stuck with me for more than... 30 minutes, right? And then I texted my dad and I said, hey, I, you should see this. You'd probably really, really enjoy it. You know, because he grew up in California at about that time. Oh, okay. He was born in 48. Wow. In Southern California. So it's pretty close to that time. And as much as anything, it's just like, I think you get a kick out of the recreation of what I think is probably pretty accurate of what that town looked like at that time. I read a paper online. Apparently about, it's shockingly this, accurate. This guy who wrote a paper, you can find, I remember where it was. Right. He talked about the neon signs. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's, yeah. it's right up there with any of the great recreations, but he walked out of it and said, man, I really, 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 really like that. I mean, he's like, I really, yeah, I really like that. And he said, you know, I don't usually like that guy's shit. Yeah. And that's more or less what he said. And I think he's, you know, it's like, well, you know, I don't think, you probably haven't seen his movies. You probably have seen the press more than you've seen his movies. Because his movies are violent, but they're not as violent as they're portrayed. Right? They're controversial, but for the most part, they're not as controversial as they're portrayed. I mean, yes, there are 
obviously very controversial things in his movies. But well, the ear cutting scene, which you don't see, you don't see the you know the the samurai stabbing in Pulp Fiction, which you don't see, right. you know, the rape that's really obscured. And, no, there's there's terrible know. things that are portrayed, but it's yeah, not it's not on camera. It's not as exploitive as it's portrayed. Right, because if you don't see any of them, the impression is it's like, oh, this is just gutter trash, yeah. and it's not. It's really sharply done, and it never really aspires to be, you know, something more than it is. But it's exceptionally well done for what it is. And when it happens, it's usually to someone who deserves it. Like, uh, you know, obviously, like <laughs> at the end of this film, almost all of his characters deserve the, it. Almost always, yeah. Uh, the um, not Kill Bill because that's more cartoonish. Yeah, you know, but uh, Inglorious Bastards. Like, who's going to argue with any of that, right? Oh, some people. I don't know who they are, but they're, they're, they're out right. there. They're out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but I mean, Django is an ugly flick, and that's actually probably my one of my least favorite of his because it is so ugly, and I understand why it is. And I'm not saying it's not unreasonable or unjustified i just don't care for yeah i i mean i get it you know, i feel the same way about Django as i felt about um uh amistad yeah which was a uh, pretty unflinching mm-hmm. trevor and i went to go see it and for christmas and when the star Although, when the star cinema was still at point nasa six and 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 i mean i i came out of it and i was i was just you know it's not roots no uh and but, Amistad didn't have anybody as charismatic as Christoph Waltz. Right. Or even Leonardo DiCaprio, for that matter, in right. that movie. But I was, I, mean, I was absolutely captivated mm-hmm. by, by, by the brutality oh, of yeah. the slavery. Yeah. And I just felt like, like Tarantino was honest yes. with how fucking brutal yeah. and bankrupt this country was morally to permit something like that, but at the same time had the courage mm-hmm. to get rid of it. Right. You know, and, and, uh, I, I just don't think that there's a lot of filmmakers that are interested in taking that on. And he, did. no, cause what's the, what's the win? Right. Right. I mean, if you're a white guy making a movie about the evils of slavery, you're going to be, Examined independent of anything, yes, which is not unreasonable, frankly. So it's one of those things where a lot of people wouldn't do it because it's like that's not a morass I want to get myself into, right? And then, oftentimes, if you're a black filmer, okay, this is coming from a white guy's perspective, duh. Mm-hmm. But if you're a black filmmaker making a movie about slavery, it's like I'm less inclined to see that too. It's like, yeah, that was a bad part of history, a bad part of this country's history. I am as aware of it as I feel like I want to be right. Which a lot of people would probably have a problem with that statement in and of itself. And that's not, again, not unreasonable, but it's like, Hey, it's just me. Mm. So it's like, there's, so making an action movie out of it is almost perverse. Right. And maybe not even the word almost shouldn't even apply. Right. And it's a funny effing movie. It's yes. fucking funny. Yes. It's really funny. Yes. And that whole thing where the KKK shows up and they're having the argument about <laughs> It's funny, (laughs) and it shouldn't be funny. Like Uh, most of his things that are funny, a lot of it is like this shouldn't be funny, but goddammit, it it is. This this guy I know, um, formerly he's a black guy from Mississippi, really cool cat, and and he he told me one time that he met uh, Big John, 
uh, who's on the plantation scene okay. where he's got the Bible verses like mm-hmm. tied to his chest while he's he's whipping a slave. Mm-hmm. He said he said he met that guy and he had his picture taken with him. And I was just imagining like, are you serious? Like that's and he and he told me just that, like what a fan he was of right. Django. And he and I just that's what that movie is doing. I mean, Big Big John is not someone that necessarily, even as the actor, I would want my picture taken with. Right. You know what I mean? Because of the character in the film. Mm-hmm. But he was able to transcend that. Right. He was able to uh, to be fascinated by this person who played such a horrible role. Right. You know, black over white. I, I just I thought that was amazing. Well, it is. But going back to the original point. Yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. So, yeah, I saw it and I was... Well, I mean... I walked into Jackie Brown with expectations, which were not met. Mm-hmm. And by expectations and not being met, it doesn't mean that it wasn't at the level of excellence that I would expect, but just the story I was expecting, right? And it took me a while to kind of go, oh, wait, maybe I should watch it again. Watch it again. It's like, oh, this is actually really fucking good. Okay. Now I get it. So ever since then, it's like, okay, I'm going to just try to walk in, like you were saying, knowing nothing, and it's probably going to be just fine. But walked into this one, I was like, God, that's the best movie I'd seen in a long, or the movie that I liked the best in a long, long time. I mean, there isn't a thing that I, after seeing it twice, so I don't know if there's anything I'd change about that movie. Yeah. Well, Jackie Brown, I think, is, uh, Luke's seen them all, and Jackie Brown is his favorite Tarantino film. Yeah, it's really, you know, if you don't have that baggage. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, Once Upon a Time, um, I saw it a second time, mm-hmm. uh, last Tuesday night for Cheap Wad Tuesday, and you know, Luke and I went... And a remarkable thing happened. Since I knew the ending, mm-hmm. I was freed. Right. You don't have to worry about it. Right. And it, it's almost like an entirely different film. Oh, yeah. I think the second time is much better. Yeah. Because you're not focused on what might be. You're just right. focused on what's going on. Right. Right. That's exactly what happened. And I remember losing my shit. I was laughing louder. And and Luke and I knew, and we were the loudest people in the theater and we didn't know why other people didn't think that it was funny. But the reason Which, why they didn't, well, particularly the scene where, where Rick Dalton is in his trailer losing his shit for three and a half minutes. People didn't find that funny? There were some people that were laughing, but Luke and I were like holding our gut laughing. Right. We were laughing out loud in the theater. And I was wondering why people weren't laughing with us. And it's for the obvious reason, which is that was their first time seeing it. Okay. Yeah, I suppose. Right. Like it, my first time seeing it, I thought mm-hmm. it was funny. I didn't feel safe enough to laugh. Yeah. Like something bad's going to happen because of the impending doom. Right. But I will tell you, man, him losing his shit in a trailer and then stammering to himself and then drinking and throwing the, the it's funny. Oh my God. I was dying. Yeah. It's funny. I was dying. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, my son can't get over that scene with Timothy Oliphant. With the camera track that goes in a in a horseshoe shape around mm-hmm. Timothy Oliphant when uh, when Rick Dalton screws up his lines, right? He says that to him. That's the funniest part in the movie. I I don't doubt it. I mean, there's so much in that movie that is the viewer can definitely find something for them, mm-hmm. right? None of it's beaten over your head. At least no. I don't think so. No. Now there is uh, Luke brought this up. I too. mean, the whole part at the uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, real quick, right. but at the um, at the ranch. Yes, that's like. A horror movie. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like a fucking horror movie. Oh, 
And if you want to see that, it's like it's like that's one of the most effective horror movie sequences I've ever seen. How did he get out of that ranch alive? I don't man? know because he is a badass motherfucker. Like, I was <laughs> expecting him to be chopped into pieces yeah. by the end of it and thrown into the trunk and then buried. The yeah, car but I mean, and... it's terrifying. Yeah. So I mean, if you're looking for that, it's there. Right. You know, if you're looking for like just silliness, then there's a lot of that there. Mm. I mean, the whole thing with uh with um Sharon Tate watching herself on the movie theater, it's like that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was very pleasant. And heartwarming. Yeah, it was. And and that's, I think that's the Sharon that we all wish were still here. I suppose. I mean, although, I mean, I don't know if anybody would think about Sharon Tate at all at this point if she wasn't unfortunately brutally murdered. That's that's an unfortunate reality that we, like, I, I It mean, doesn't matter. No, right? it doesn't. Like, I, I mean, I have a hard time seeing um, a Plansky not mm-hmm. putting her into a film, you know, um, you would think, right? And obviously, that exposure I think would get her uh, yeah. more roles. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, she may have been phenomenally successful. You know, yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it almost doesn't matter. It's like, going, oh, okay, this is a much better, much better way to present this person than what we all know. Exactly the tragedy. We all know one thing about Sharon that's Tate, right. and that's and that's very bad. Yeah, it's like it's not good. It's, yeah, and. I would I will, I will have to say uh that's what she was to me before this movie. Okay. Yeah, me, me too, right. for sure. And after this movie, she's not that anymore. No. It's like, oh, it's actually a person. Yes. Not just a victim, which and, I think is really important, which it seems to get glossed over a lot in some of the reviews that I've read. Yes. It's like, oh, you took this real life human and by not doing what these critics say that they he should have done, turned her into not a victim. Right. Right. And the humanity of that action of spending, Mm -hmm. I mean, this was like a, this was an enormously expensive movie. I don't think it was over the top. Um, I I heard 40, 50 million. Is that enormously expensive? Uh, These days? Well, no. I mean, to Tarantino, that's enormously expensive. Yeah, but it's probably on par with everything since Inglorious Bastards, I'm guessing. Probably, yeah. uh, Hate Flay was done all in that cinemascope. Yeah, I mean that has to be a forty or fifty million yeah, dollars movie shot on film. Yeah, exactly. I think this one was too. This, I think wow. him and a well, who is it? Him and Nolan and the third guy. They went into bought East Midcote. But but those are probably the only guys who regularly shoot on film. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Scorsese does it or not anymore. I don't know. I, the guy who did the Total Recall remake, I don't remember his name, but he shot that on film too. Total Recall that, remake. Yeah, who would that be? Uh, I can't remember his name, but I, I I really enjoyed it. It was good. I I was not a fan of Total Recall to begin with. What? Like the first, I know, yeah. But uh, I, I love the but the remake looks so much. Again, the remake looks so much like Blade Runner. Yeah. That I was just totally sucked in because this is before twenty forty nine came out. So I was brain not working. I don't understand yeah. the original statement. Yeah, of not being, I don't. I don't I mean, like Total Recall. Well, I, it, yeah, it's a Verhoeven flick. No. Don't like it at all. So okay, so Verhoeven and De Palma are they different people or the same person? <laughs> okay, back to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, I I got the soundtrack. I've been turning it up all week. Mm-hmm. I got to say, just like every Tarantino soundtrack, they seem to work. I'm I'm in. Paul Revere yep. and the Raiders. Yeah, you know, um, I've I've read a lot of negative stuff about uh, Tarantino not giving Margot Robbie any lines. And I think his response to those questions is pretty appropriate. Which is? I don't remember exactly what it was, but essentially next question. But, I mean, I think that, I mean, 
I would need to read these criticisms to be able to have a reasonable retort. But I think that if he had portrayed her in any other manner, it would have seemed forced, false, and silly. Pandering. Yeah. And also something I had read, and I don't really know what kind of impact it makes, is that before I made the movie, he went and he, I guess he spent some decent amount of time with her estate, her family. Okay. So I don't know what kind of control they have over her image. Yeah, likeness. I'm sure there's a significant amount. But it was one of those things where he walked in and he walked out. And they said, yep, do that. So So what right does anybody else have to bitch? Right. It's one of those things that I don't really like how a lot of the criticism seems to be going. In that if it doesn't fit this... I mean, this is probably not unique to now. It's certainly not unique to now that I think about it. But we, we want to push our own agenda on the entertainment we're seeing. And <clears throat> most movies are not Fuck that. the products. Of, well, I mean, but it's always been like that, right? Uh, now that I said to. that, it's like, it's probably always been like that. But the auteur, you know, movement isn't dead by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly not something that's the norm that it was in the late seventies. Yeah, he right? does. He does what he I wants. I mean, he, yeah, there's Spike Lee, there's Tarantino, there's Nolan, there's a handful of others. Who else? Scorsese. Michael Mann, Scorsese. That it's like, okay, we all know that the auteur theory is kind of bullshit because, of course, one person can't do everything. But at the same time, it's 100% true because, like, okay, this is a true reflection of this person's story. Te- you know, story. Mm-hmm. It's what they want to tell. Right. And it's like, he's not making a movie for us. He's making a movie for him. Mm-hmm. And if we like it, he's thrilled. Right. Because he can make another one then. Right. But it's like, yeah, you get the sense. Like, yeah. I mean, even John Carpenter, who made some movies I just don't care for, but a lot of movies I love, is like every John Carpenter movie I think I've ever seen is like, well, that's how John Carpenter wanted to make the movie. That's right. And you can't argue with that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if I like it, but, you know, that's what John Carpenter that's wanted. That's what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. So I don't really like this expectation that any of them should, especially the ones that have these singular. Um, Ryan Coogler is a good one. Right, he's like got this singular vision mm-hmm. that hey, this is my movie. It's like okay, I don't know if I like it or not, and but John I Singleton like, too. Oh yeah, yeah, but he I mean, passed away, so we won't, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, he did last year. Yeah, yeah that sucks. That did. He was a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably more. Right, there's Oliver Stone, but a lot of these people just don't make movies anymore. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing. And there's a lot of small stuff that people would point to and say. What about this guy? What about this gal? You know, Sofia Coppola very much makes yeah. Sofia Coppola movies. Wes Anderson. You know, I don't expect them to make anything except for whatever it is they want, and I don't have these expectations that you aren't representing whatever viewpoint I think it should be. Let me run over a couple of things in the film and get your reaction from Okay. Because I had strong reactions to a lot of things in the film. What are your feelings on flamethrowers these days? <laughs> I think Elon Musk is right, and everybody should have one. I guess so. <laughs> Just in case uh, Van Houten, isn't that, wasn't that who that was, Van Houten? Because, I mean, he, Tarantino uh, chose real people mm-hmm. in the family to right. portray. Yes, they were the real murderers. Right, and yeah. he gave them nicknames because mm-hmm. he could not use their real names. Are you sure on that? I, I, I think so. <laughs> 
Um, Why couldn't he use their real names? Because he didn't want to get sued. Because Why would he them, get sued? Some of them are still alive. Why would you get sued for making a movie about someone who's still alive? That happens all the time. I I don't know. Because what's the, his name? Tex. Yes. That's that guy's name. But He's, he is dead. He is dead. Yes. Well, that was his nickname. Well, they, yeah, they yeah, never, but they, they never said his real name in the film. No, but they said Charlie's real name in the film, but also his last name. That I mean, you might no. be right. I'd have to. That's something I haven't even thought about. But I know there's lots of movies that come out where well, if they you take, look at if you look at the credits, it's all their nicknames. It's none of their real okay. names. But I believe, remember uh, Oliver Stone came out with the uh, W in right, right, yeah. Uh, and I don't know any too much about because I mean, it's not like one of those things where they were. Of, well, the thing I'm wondering is that they were not portrayed doing a crime that they weren't convicted of. So it wasn't slander. Right. That would, that would make sense. Right. So right. I, I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah. okay. I don't that's, know any other way. It's irrelevant. Yeah, that's irrelevant. But the, the way it appeared to me was, it was Van Houten and Susan Atkins okay. who were, who stayed. Mm-hmm. And that one chick who was acquitted was the chick who was driving away in the car. That's really funny. Which was really, funny. <laughs> that's really funny. And, and, <laughs> and she was in Stranger Things too. Right? Yeah. It's a, you know, that's a Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, she's really good. Like, yeah. Stranger Things. She fucking, she's lies. really good. Yeah. yeah. Robin. Yeah. She she's yeah. she's going to do fine. Yeah. Oh, that was me. And, and, you know, I instantly recognized her because her, uh, her eyebrows. Yeah. Just are very distinctive. It's very strange. Anyway. Okay. But so, going back. Right. Now, I mean, I got to say, um, and I don't care who knows it. Okay. Susan Atkins deserves to burn to death after having her face bashed in. Okay. And run through a plate of glass. And I'm not a malicious person, and I don't wish ill on most people. But she was a fucking cunt, and she deserved to die for what she did. Okay. And that was emotionally gratifying for me to see that on film. And I don't, that's very horrible of me as a person to say, because she is a human being. Yeah. But I, you know, I felt the same way at the end of Inglorious Bastards. You didn't feel bad for Hitler. I did not feel bad for Hitler, but he was a person, right? He had feelings. And he also he also had two clips of nine millimeters from an MP40 plugged into his face, which which I got to say made me feel special. <laughs> and it was shot in such a way as even the first time, like I again I was laughing out loud, right? And like in a lot of Tarantino films, I'm mm-hmm. laughing out loud and I'm feeling bad over it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm feeling bad. Like, I remember going I think that's to, part of the objective. I think that's what he's shooting for. Yes. I mean, he's not dumb. No, no. Like, I went to Pulp Fiction with a friend of mine, Michael, um, who I just saw last night. And it was my second time seeing it. And, mm-hmm. and I was I was really cautious. Like, what's he going to feel like when the N-word starts dropping? Right. He was laughing his ass off out loud because it was just such a taboo. So uh, is Michael Black did? No, he's not. Okay. Um. But you, you never know how people are ever going to, to react. Now, no. Tarantino's backed off from that a lot. Yeah. and There's there's no N-word in this film. No, are, no. And there's, no are, well, there's no reason for it to be. It was, you know, that's the one criticism of Pulp Fiction, which I think it's legitimate, is that there's no reason for it. Aside from the shock value and funniness. Yeah, from the comedy of yeah. it. Yeah. Which I do... I'm. It's complicated, and I hate to qualify things like that, but... A lot of people that I knew at that time, mm-hmm. and people that I didn't know at that time, found that funny. 
Yes. Because I remember seeing that movie for the second time. And there was a black guy sitting in front of me and having that same sort of, oh, no, you know. And that guy laughed louder than anybody else in the theater. Yeah. So I'm not – and he just certainly doesn't speak for anybody but himself, right? right? Right. And I didn't talk to him afterwards or before, so I don't really know. Yeah. But he laughed his ass off because it made me go, maybe this is actually just funny. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's one of those things. It just seemed for the comedy of it. Yeah. And again, it was for the shock context is everything, you know, uh, boys in the hood has a different context. It does, you know, and to say that the context doesn't matter is bullshit. When you take boys in the hood and Pulp Fiction, yeah, that's context is everything. Mm. So once upon a time, five minutes of screen time with Brad Pitt. And I've never wanted to be Brad Pitt so bad in my life. Yeah, Brad Pitt is probably your most unappreciated, phenomenal actor. I tell you, I, I've i never been in that position before. I've never been like an overwhelming Brad Pitt fan. I really? I do not go to movies because Brad Pitt is in it. No, I don't go to movies because Brad Pitt's in it. But he's kind of like a lot of guys. Or he's kind of like, um, well, he's almost unique. Because like, I don't know if I've ever seen a Brad Pitt movie where I didn't say, well, he's pretty good. You know? Right. And... Except for when he, he is a leading man, because that sometimes it doesn't work. But when he plays a weirdo, he's phenomenal <laughs> as a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Luke and I saw Twelve Monkeys, and yeah, he, you know, he definitely weirdo. I mean, oh my god, he's just and and I have to say, Twelve Monkeys was really the first film that I saw in, in seven. Yeah, where I was like, wow, that guy is like he's not a pretty boy. He's he's really good. Mm-hmm. It's just that a lot of us can't get past. Yeah, I remember seeing him in Thelma and Louise. Yeah, it didn't register with me. I remember it going, I don't know who that person was, but that person will probably end up famous. Yeah. Yeah. And just over over the years, of course, like mm-hmm. I, I understand how star power works. I just was not on the Brad Pitt train. Sure. But I will tell you, but, but, I fucking loved him in this movie. And oh, yeah. I, I just, Luke and I have now decided that we're going to go as Rick and Cliff for Halloween. <laughs> I've already found the Hawaiian shirt. I uh-huh. found the champion t-shirt. I found moccasins down at this uh, Native American So store. who's going to wear the uh, robe and carry around the blender of margarita? Oh, my God. Just yelling oh at hippies. Oh, my God. I was dying with laughter. <laughs> that was classic. He was in the middle of the cul-de-sac. He was kicking the fucking bumper, and Tex is, like, flummoxed at him. Oh, I... Just yeah, I don't want this to turn into like a Chris Farley episode of Saturday Night Live. No. But remember that part? We yeah, we don't need that. We don't need that. That that was great. Okay, Pitt taking his shirt off. Mm-hmm. Do you have an emotional reaction to that? Because I did. Well, yeah, have to say I, I don't do near enough sit ups. It's kind of I need to do more push ups, more sit ups. Was thinking. Well, what is he like? Fifty two? He's fifty four. No, he's thirty five. Pitt? Maybe twenty nine. No. <laughs> There is no way someone older than me. I'm just going to run with this as my reality. This is my truth. He looked fucking spectacular. Yeah, I was like, eh, he uh, looked like a fucking beefcake. Yeah, I was like, eh, okay. I was so highly impressed. That was by probably that. one of the noisiest parts of the of the movie from the theater. Is like, wow, everybody's like, you know, the girls are. Like, everybody's like, who? Okay, <laughs> alrighty then. I was fucking shocked. He looked fantastic. And but I, how many times have we seen him shirtless in movies? Countless times. I'm sure. Yeah. But this is the only time I've had that. No, it was portrayed really well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was really well. I mean, that whole lead up to it when he was doing that, you know, um, leaping and what's that yeah, called? Yeah, yeah, the parkour, parkour stuff. You know, it's like 
it established him as a super athletic dude. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it was really well done. As the whole movie, and that's the thing is, it's like it's a really well done movie. Luke's criticism was there was not a Royale with cheese moment in terms of dialogue. I don't know. Um, from a single phrase or a single statement. No, I guess he's right, but there are so many parts of it that were, I thought, so much better. Like, the conversation between Rick Dalton and the little girl was as good, if not better, than the whole, you know, conversation with Jules and... Vincent. Vincent, thank you. You know, driving to the hit. I mean, yeah. when they're talking about the book, and it's like, it was a really good movie, or a good uh, it has scene. the book end. Yeah. yeah, it's like... So much of it was not what I expected, but so much better than I would have hoped for. Yeah, in terms of quality, it was much better. It may not be as memorable. I don't know if it's necessarily better even, but it was something that... Okay, Pulp Fiction came out at a time where I needed a movie like Pulp Fiction. Right? That movie came out and I said, yes, this is exactly the movie I needed to see right now. And this is sort of the same thing with this one. It's like, yeah, this is a perfect movie for me as a 48-year-old dude. It's kind of distressing in that regard. Because it's all about the decline. Right. And trying to recapture glory, which may have never have been. Right. But it was really thoughtful, and I really enjoyed it. Okay. And I don't know if there's that quippiness, but I'll watch it a third time and probably come up with something. Right. Uh, what was the next moment I had in my mind? I don't know. You mentioned okay, the quippy dialogue. The uh, the driving was there too much driving? No, there wasn't enough driving. <laughs> I will. It watch, could have been another hour of driving. I will will watch Cliff Booth drive anywhere. Dude can drive a car. He can drive. Oh, here we go. Uh, Mike Mo. Yes. Uh, personally, I like the scene. See, I don't get it. I really don't because. You know, for you're in my age group, we all know who Bruce Lee is. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's one of those things where this is obviously something of a parody and also, you know, going back to Wesley Morris's recapables, I think it's legitimate. It's, it's sort of a fantasy in Cliff's mind, right? This is why he got fired. Well, he's he's recalling it. Right. It's his memory. It's his fantasy. I don't know how real it is because I have a lot of things in my memory. That's how he views the moment. And it was one of those things where it does a couple things. It it has almost nothing to do with Bruce Lee. It has almost everything to do with Cliff. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, it establishes his prowess as a fighter. Mm -hmm. It also establishes him as a questionable decision maker. (laughs) Right? I don't think it has, it has almost nothing to do with Bruce Lee. I mean, and also, is any part of Bruce Lee's appeal this humble, you know, quiet personality? No, it's because he is, was a badass. He was. You know, he was a badass martial artist. He was. You know, and it's not one of those things where anybody looks at it and says, you know, I, I never thought that Bruce Lee was... You know, humble. I didn't really think about it, and I still don't now. You know, his portray- the portrayal of that character because he is a character. He's yes. not a real person in this movie. He's a character, and it hasn't changed my thinking of Bruce Lee. Like, no, no, not at all. Um, 
And if you look at Bruce's uh, interview with Mike Wallace. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did Bruce Lee die, by the way? Uh, oh Wasn't that a drug overdose? Was it? Uh, he, he was on some sort of pharmaceuticals while he was ill, if I remember correctly. That might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember the specific circumstance, but I, I, I think he was taking some sort of... And I, I do think that it was an illegal pharmaceutical. And it was too much. I'm looking up on the Google, but go on. Okay. So I, I had, I had somebody at work tell me about how like, it was, not even going to bother. It was irrational that Cliff Booth won this fight. Why? Well, so I do think Quentin Tino's response to that was perfect. What was his response? Go on. Okay. Well, my, my point of view was it was, it was two out of three. Was it not? It was. Okay. So first one, Cliff gets kicked in the chest and he's on the ground. Yes. All right. It's almost like Cliff wants to know what Bruce's move is. That's exactly right. Okay. So then Bruce does the same move. Cliff sends him into the car <laughs> in this shot. That's just it was like, tremendous. Even the second time. <laughs> even the second time. I was like, oh. oh that had to hurt. Uh, so Cliff wins that one. Mm-hmm. Third one is interrupted. Right. So it was never finished. Mm-hmm. Cliff didn't win the fight. No. And Bruce didn't win it either. No. And it's left unresolved. I think. So it seems to me to be a bullshit criticism. To say it is that. a total bullshit criticism. But Tarantino's point, I think, like I said, was exactly right. It's his was who would win in a fight? Bruce Lee or Dracula? <laughs> it's like, well, it's inherently a silly question. Dracula is a fictional character. So is Cliff. If I say you can beat Bruce Lee, you can beat Bruce Lee. And I think I was like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. He's like, yeah, that's kind of weird it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we already covered the soundtrack. Yes. I I have not bought the soundtrack. I have not gotten it on the iTunes or the Google Net or anything like that. So that's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, The Van Nuys drive-in. Mm-hmm. Most awesome. Very cool. Uh, the one, two, three setup with the dog. Yes. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, another, I had heard on the Bill Simmons podcast mm-hmm. that Burt Reynolds and his relationship with Hal Needham. Okay. Was, was kind of a, was the, somewhat of an inspiration. Right. Uh, now, Hal Needham was a stuntman, then he was a stuntman coordinator, and then he was a director. Right. He did uh, Smoky Film and mm-hmm. and fucking Hooper. Yeah, he did. And, oh, my God. <laughs> and then Hooper. a couple others. Right. And um, where was I going with this? Fuck. This is what happens when you take too long to, to no get worries. to a point. Um, Bert, oh, here we go. So, Bert was supposed to play George Spahn. Correct. And played him in, in uh, the walkthrough, uh, the read through the read through. And then unfortunately passed away and Bruce Dern stepped in. Yes. They'd known each other since, um, hateful eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you're, you're conscious of a role change. You might see a role and see someone else in it. And yes. Maybe think, uh, maybe the other person do a mm-hmm. good job, better job. 
I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I liked Bruce Dern in that role. Yeah, I liked him fine. I couldn't imagine it being different. I'm, although it's one of those things where if, you know, if uh, Burt was there, yeah. I'd probably look at it going, I couldn't imagine anybody, but Burt Reynolds yeah, doing possibly, it. You know, possibly. It's kind of like, um, um, oh, Jesus. Boogie Nights, right? Burt Reynolds in that. And he is really, really good in that. Yeah. But I'm not going to say I couldn't imagine anybody else in it because I'm sure somebody else would be, and I'd say the same thing because, you know, Paul Anderson's like, he's like good. And Tarantino's good, you know. It's one of those that I don't really know. But Bruce Turner I thought was, yeah, he was great. Steve McQueen is a pretty cool dude. I've not heard anything from the McQueen estate or the McQueen family, and I know that his wife is still alive. Okay. Um, I'm just pontificating here. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a guy who hangs around the pool and talks about other people? In my mind, no, but that doesn't mean he doesn't. It's right. the same thing with Bruce Lee, right? It's like, it's not important because in the movie, he does. Well, I mean, I can, I, I don't think that I've ever read, or at least all the way through, I might have read patches of, of um, the book Helter Skelter mm-hmm. by uh, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, I think his name is. He was the prosecutor in the trial. But, I mean, I I think it's common knowledge of of what Steve McQueen's character was saying about Jay Sebring. Right. I, I think that even 60 years later, 50 years later, I I think that it's that's not a big surprise. I wouldn't think so. That yeah. was what was happening. That was pretty yeah, consistent with the perception at the time. Yes. Um, and that happens mm-hmm. in Hollywood and in real life. A lot of people thought that it was disrespectful to Sharon Tate or, or Roman. Um, a lot of people thought it was disrespectful to, to Steve McQueen that he would just be like just telling other people secrets. But that person- If we're worried about being disrespectful to Steve McQueen based on that three-minute section, we have got way too much time on our hands. We, we do. We do. We have way too many things to be worried about. Cliff's car or Rick's car? Rick's. I have a Cadillac right now, so oh, I'm going to yes. lean that way. What was what was Cliff's car? It looked like a it was like a, a uh, Saab or a Fiat or no? I think it's a. I don't know if it's a Carmagia. Not, not an MG. Whatever it, it is. may have been an MG. Actually, that I may not be wrong. Fucking want it. Whatever it is, <laughs> it was pretty cool. I just it was pretty cool. Ugh, that car. So you've driven around LA a few times. Yes, and you can't ever go that fast. There's way too much traffic. <laughs> okay, man, we're at one forty-six. One hour and forty-six minutes. Yeah. Oh, geez. So uh, I, I think I just I don't know. It's I, probably time. It's probably time. I, I really. It's seven thirty. Yeah, that's probably more of a compelling argument. To it, quit. Yeah, it is. That I just want to wind this up first of all by saying uh, I really, really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yes. And I don't think that I fully understand why. Completely, mm-hmm. and I think that there's there's going to be a long period of time for me to understand that. I think there are things going on in that film that have not hit yet, right? That I have not seen yet. I think that's fair. And uh, I think there are complexities that have yet to unravel itself. And I think that for for anyone who is a critic or a moviegoer to just say that they've seen it once and understand it, I think they're wrong because I've seen it twice, and I I know. I know right. that I'm not catching everything. Yeah, but I mean, I think a lot of it is also going through your own personal filter, right? 
it's going to mean more to you now than it would have meant to you when you were 27, presumably. Right? I agree with you. I, I, th- I, I think you're right, but I think there is a, like I said, I think there's a correlation, you know, that really works with this filmmaker and people of our age group. It's like it kind of, in some regards, mirrors some different points in our life where it's like, oh, that is what I needed at that time. So I don't know. It's like music artists have that same thing where you can see them progress over time. Yes. And it's like, wow, that person's really in line with what I was thinking or feeling Mm -hmm. because they're of a similar age or a similar experience level. I don't know. I just saw Noel Gallagher last Sunday night and, and um, I I completely agree with that statement Yeah, because I think he's hitting all the right notes for me right now at this particular time. right. Right. Um, and I would say that musicians probably have more of an opportunity to do that than, say, filmmakers. I think so, because filmmakers don't make a whole lot of live television. Yes, that's right. That's right. Man, thank you so much for coming Oh, over. it's no problem. It's late. we got to go. Yeah, but hey. we got to go. Uh, thanks for watching Kingdom of Heaven with me, and thanks for staying for the special edition. No, right. You're welcome, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Again. We'll see you next time. Yes, sir. Ow. My ears hurt. Thanks for hanging out with Dave and I while we discussed whatever we wanted to discuss over a Yeti full of beer. The Super 70 podcast is a commentary track meant to sync with the film we are discussing. You don't have to, though, and can go on listening without watching anything. I would, however, recommend that you watch the film we are discussing before listening to the Super 70 podcast. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Himalaya, and my website, at www.thatdylandavis.com. I'm Dylan Davis.